Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Connor Reed with words to that effect. Stories of the fiction that shapes popular culture. I had this story from one who had no business to tell it to me, or to any other. I may credit the seductive influence of an old vintage upon the narrator for the beginning of it, and my own sceptical incredulity during the days that followed, for the balance of the strange tale. The opening words of Tarzan of the Apes. With this, American author Edgar Rice Burroughs began a story that would change his fortunes forever, making him one of the most successful authors of the 20th century. Edgar Rice who? Yeah, this is the thing. Edgar Rice Burroughs is no longer a familiar name. You may well have heard him mentioned on this show before because, well, I'm a bit of a Burroughs fan. But it's fair to say he's not exactly a household name these days. Like many other authors, the fame of his greatest creation, in his case Tarzan, has long eclipsed his own. But Burroughs was far more than the creator of Tarzan. He was an early pioneer of science fiction, a master of the pulp fiction magazines of the early 20th century, an author whose books across his lifetime and beyond sold tens of millions of copies. He was also, among a bewildering array of other things, a journalist, a soldier, and war correspondent, a businessman, a real estate investor. The ranch he bought and developed in the 1920s is today the aptly named neighborhood of, of course, Tarzana, California. So who was Edgar Rice Burroughs? Why were his books so popular? And has his work had any real lasting legacy on our culture today? Beyond, you know. I mentioned California, but Burroughs only moved there much later in life. He was born in Chicago in 1875 into a comfortable middle-class family. He lived in a number of locations in and around Chicago, including for a length of time in the village of Oak Park, which was and still is a well-off leafy suburb with its Frank Lloyd Wright designed buildings. The famous architect lived there in Burroughs' time and an Ernest Hemingway museum, another resident from around the same period. Burroughs' life was fairly typical for the son of a successful businessman and former Civil War major. His two older brothers, who were considerably more academic-minded than he was, were duly sent to study in Yale. Burroughs' father, after his son had underperformed in several different schools, did what many military-inclined, worried fathers do, and enrolled him in military academy. The Michigan Military Academy had a profound effect on the young Burroughs, and it instilled in him a lifelong passion for the military, which would come out in lots of his subsequent writing. He graduated from military academy and set out to find his way in the world, with some difficulty. This was the end of the 19th century. Opportunities abounded for a young, white, middle-class American man. But nothing quite seemed to fit. It would be two decades until he turned his hand to writing, and in the meantime, Burroughs tried, well, everything. 
he briefly joined the army, but found his days were not exactly filled with the daring exploits and adventure he had imagined. He mostly dug irrigation trenches in the sweltering heat and then contracted dysentery. So, using his father's sway, he managed to get an honourable discharge and moved on. He managed to get a gig at his old school for a while. He worked as a geology professor and an assistant commandant. He was a cowboy and rancher for a period, working for his brothers in Idaho. He had a brief stint as a railroad cop. He worked for his father's American battery company. He was a door-to-door salesman, a business writer, an accountant, a stationery shop owner. Most promisingly, at one point, he got a job in Sears and Roebuck and became a department manager. At this stage, he'd married Emma Hulbert, a childhood friend and neighbour, and they had a daughter. One day, he was looking into new business ideas, as he regularly was, and he wrote a single word on a card and sent it to his daughter, Google. He then outlined his idea for an interconnected series of computers, which was... No, I didn't. He was jokingly sending a letter with a single word of baby babble or something like that to his daughter... But he was constantly on the lookout for new business ideas, for something that would put him in charge of his own destiny. An entrepreneur and businessman like his father, not a mid-level manager in a much larger organisation. Which is why, with a steady, well-paid and reliable job in Sears, and with a wife and young daughter, he decided to quit and strike out on his own again. More business opportunities and ideas came and went, until he decided, in 1911, to try something completely different, writing adventure tales for the rapidly growing pulp fiction magazines. Like a lot of people, I guess, he read other stories and said to himself, I could write something better than that. Unlike most people, however, he really could, and did, and he never looked back. Now, this didn't come out of nowhere. He had always been very creative. He loved to draw. He was a really excellent cartoonist. He wrote poetry, short stories, lots of little light-hearted sketches. He'd even written a short novella as well. But trying his hand at writing commercially was obviously very different. Tarzan wasn't his first success, though. He wrote a science fiction story about a Confederate soldier who gets mysteriously transported to Mars. Under the Moons of Mars was bought by All Story magazine and ran in serialised form in early 1912. It's now better known as A Princess of Mars, and it introduced the character of John Carter. You may know him from Disney's huge budget John Carter of Mars from a couple of years back, a mostly unsuccessful attempt to reinvent Burroughs' second most well-known creation. But Burroughs' Mars novels, the Barsoom novels as they're known, after the name the inhabitants of Mars use for their planet, they were hugely influential on science fiction. They were part of a wave of early science fiction stories set on Mars, or with Martian visitors to Earth, like H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. This was the very start of our ongoing science fiction fascination with alien life forms and beings from other worlds. And Burroughs continued writing Barsoom novels throughout the rest of his career. But it was his next story, Tarzan of the Apes, that changed his fortunes forever. Speaking of fortunes, it's time for a quick break, in which I implore you to spend a tiny fraction of your hard-earned fortune on becoming a patron of this show. Head to patreon.com slash WTTE for all the details, but there are lots of benefits, including bonus episodes, and there'll be a new one out very soon. I'll also thank you in person on the show. So on that note, thank you, Julianne and Daryl, the two most recent patrons. I really, really appreciate the support. 
patreon.com slash WTTE. Back to the show. So I think we all know Tarzan in one way or another. When Burroughs created the character in 1912, it was one of those cultural moments where it's hard to pin down exactly what, but a number of factors just came together and the story became phenomenally popular. Part of it is the writing. It's a fun page-turning adventure tale with romance and thrills. And the romance part is important too. It wasn't just Tarzan's daring escapades that drew readers in. The central love story of Tarzan and Jane was a major part of the appeal for both male and female readers. The plot itself takes a classic setup, the same story from Romulus and Ramus to The Jungle Book, and updates it. Boy raised by animals survives and flourishes in the wild. It asks us, the reader, to place ourselves in the same situation and question how we would get on. I mean, this is the same fascination that underpins castaway tales from Robinson Crusoe right up to the likes of Bear Grylls TV shows. But the story also tapped into a lot of divisions and oppositions that were both intriguing and troubling in Burroughs' time and long after. The modern man in a primitive world. Words very much in quotation marks now, but not so much then. A European, Tarzan is a British aristocrat, raised in Africa. Tarzan is also a human living among animals. And this was a time when anthropologists and philosophers and all sorts of people were beginning to really question all of these divisions. How civilised are we really? How distinct are we from apes and other animals? What is humanity's place in nature? And now these are lofty questions, and I'm not trying to say that Tarzan's jungle adventures necessarily answer them, but the story reflected a lot of these ideas across Burroughs America and further afield. Tarzan of the Apes tapped into a whole raft of racial and social and cultural concerns. The story itself is, in any number of areas, not least its racial politics, it's hugely problematic. It's been adapted and retold hundreds of times in the cinema, on TV, radio plays, comic books, games, spin-offs, and lots more. Whatever way you look at it, though, unless you substantially change the central premise, for a modern audience, it's the story of a white saviour coming to the rescue of helpless black Africans. It just doesn't work. But in its time, it was hugely influential, and it is now, without doubt, a central part of early 20th century popular culture. It shaped contemporary pulp fiction and adventure tales, and Tarzan himself soon made his way onto the big screen to become the global pop culture icon he has remained. Even if this was in a very simplified fashion. Burroughs' Tarzan is multilingual, for example. His first human language is actually French. He's not the Tarzan from early cinema. Jane. Jane. And you. You. Tarzan. Tarzan. And soon Tarzan was everywhere. Tarzan clubs, Tarzan merchandise, film tie-ins, children's games, sequels. So many sequels. Over his lifetime, Burroughs churned out over two dozen more Tarzan tales. And I've read them all so you don't have to. I can't stress this enough. Do not read all the Tarzan novels. The Tarzan stories made Burroughs a fortune. By the 1920s, he was, in today's terms, a multi-millionaire. Although, as you can probably imagine, he had a bit of a love-hate relationship with his most famous creation. He wrote a huge variety of other work, mostly but not only science fiction. But if he wanted a guaranteed success, publishers were always willing to pay handsomely for another Tarzan tale. Even if Burroughs was bored and uninterested in the ape-man's further adventures. 
none of his other works ever really achieved the same fame as Tarzan, and lots of them are deservedly long forgotten. There are some really awful ones. But he did write some other very memorable stories. His John Carter series, as I've mentioned, was hugely successful and very influential. He wrote another series on Venus, one set in a hollow earth, part of a whole tradition of hollow earth tales, which is the topic of a bonus episode for all you lovely patrons. He wrote a variety of non-Tarzan jungle adventures, a couple of westerns, detective stories, historical novels. He kind of did all the genres, basically. The Caspak trilogy is definitely among his best work. A lost world tale about a World War I submarine that stumbles upon an island where dinosaurs still exist and the population are all affected by a strange and really brilliantly inventive type of evolution. Personally, I think if you read only one Burroughs work other than Tarzan of the Apes, I'd read the Caspak stories. At this time, in the 1910s, Burroughs' published output was extraordinary. He was frequently publishing over 300,000 words a year. During the war, he served in the reserves before he and Emma moved in 1919 to what would become Tarzana, California. There, with his wife and three children, he continued to write prolifically, and as the popularity of his works grew exponentially at home and abroad all over the world, he formed Edgar Rice Burroughs, Inc., He was one of the first authors to incorporate himself in this way, and he really realised the potential of his growing multimedia empire. Later in the 1930s, a journalist would joke that Mr. Burroughs is the nation's sixth largest industry, now that steel and railroads are slowing up. He was also one of the earliest writers to develop a shared universe for his work. Practically all of his stories, and there are dozens of them, they're all connected or interwoven in some way. So his Venus series opens with a communication from a character in Pellucidar, his hollow earth world, a location which Tarzan also visits. In a trilogy of novels set on the moon in the future, John Carter from his Mars novels has become this sort of mythical George Washington-like figure. And Burroughs also has fun with all of this as well. So in the novels, Tarzan is real. He lives in our world. And in our world, Tarzan is a celebrity and, of course, a film star. So in later novels, he has characters confuse Tarzan with Johnny Weissmuller, the actor who most famously played Tarzan in the 1930s. This interconnected, shared universe is maybe not so unusual today, especially with the current popularity slash unending monotony of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But Burroughs was certainly one of the first authors to create such a sustained and large group of interconnected popular works like this. And so he kept writing. Dejat Horus was born in triumph back to the court of her grandfather, Tardos Moors, Jeddak of Helium. And writing. I stood rigid, spellbound, watching the white wake the of the torpedo. Of it struck us on the starboard side, almost midships. at his hips, and a rifle in his hand. And writing. The fact that I should have chanced to fall in love with this particular girl. Presently, as we topped a rise of ground, we saw... Novels which became films, which became radio plays, which had spin-offs and merchandise. More Tarzan tales, more John Carter, more science fiction, more adventure stories. Right through the 1930s and into the 1940s. With the outbreak of the Second World War, Burroughs, now divorced and remarried, moved to Hawaii. And in December 1941, as he and his son Albert played tennis, they witnessed the attack on Pearl Harbor. Burroughs, ever the military man, immediately volunteered for sentry duty and soon after secured a position as a war correspondent. He travelled all across the Pacific for the duration of the war, writing articles and morale-boosting pieces for the troops. 
As the war ended and life returned to normality, his output slowed and in the late 1940s his health rapidly declined. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 1949. Finally, on March 19, 1950, one of the most successful and well-known popular authors of the century died peacefully in his home. Initially, his work fell out of print somewhat and was a little bit forgotten. But the 1960s saw a paperback boom, and dozens of his novels were all reissued in a variety of different formats, and his popularity exploded again. This continued for a number of years, but in more recent decades, his work has mostly fallen out of popularity again. Tarzan of the Apes and A Princess of Mars have been republished a number of times by more prestigious publishers like Penguin, Oxford University Press, and the Library of America. But it seems likely that Burroughs will not be regaining a wide readership of his entire catalogue anytime soon. With Tarzan, though, his place in popular culture is assured. The character has been perpetually reinvented for over a century now. Through Disney, the story has become a widely recognised children's tale. Disney also saw enough potential in John Carter to invest a quarter of a billion dollars in a version of A Princess of Mars in 2012. Burroughs' Mars novels inspired lots of things, everything from Star Wars to Superman and Flash Gordon, not to mention Avatar, one of the most successful films in cinema history. But that was part of the problem in the end. Disney's John Carter of Mars all seemed a bit derivative. It had all been done before, even if, ironically, the movies that had done it were themselves originally inspired by Burroughs. It wasn't too bad a film, but it was not a box office triumph. But all of this is a reminder that Burroughs isn't going away anytime soon, especially in his multimedia reinventions and reimaginings. In the Barsoom novels, when John Carter is triumphant in the face of almost certain death, he rallies with the cry, I still live. The same, it seems, could be said for Edgar Rice Burroughs. That's it for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. I felt like there was a Burroughs episode in me somewhere. It just took a while to get around to it. Not least because I have written a book on this topic, something I believe I have mentioned on the show before. The Science and Fiction of Edgar Rice Burroughs is available on Amazon or at the publisher Gilfie's website. So if someone you know is a big Burroughs fan or science fiction nerd or loves early pub fiction or just all the fascinating ways that popular fiction and science come together, then buy them a lovely early Christmas present. And that's pretty much it for this week. You can check out all of the extra information. There are links and pictures and transcripts and everything else at the website, which is wttepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at CEDread, C-E-D-R-E-I-D, or the show is on Facebook and on Instagram. Music this week was by Blue Dot Sessions. And, oh yeah, don't forget that the live show with She Done It, which was recently performed at the Dublin Podcast Festival, is going to be on again in Birmingham in the UK. So if you are in and around those parts, check out Pod UK, and I'll put links to that on the website as well. And that's it. I'll see you in two weeks. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The beja, the paja. Okay. <clears throat> the fact that I should have chanced to fall in love with this particular girl in the land of the paja, where <laughs> where there are so many beautiful girls, was in itself a tragedy.